Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. All righty, guys, we are here for another episode of the Auto Bid. I am Aaron Robertson, joined, as always, by my twin brother, Andrew Robertson. And today, we are joined by Kanisha's men's basketball head coach, Reggie Witherspoon. Coach, thanks for joining us today. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me, guys. No problem at all, man. So we're going to go ahead and uh, get right into it, man. I want to give the viewers a little bit of background on you, Coach Witherspoon. Obviously, now you're the head coach at Canisius College, but you've been a head coach at Buffalo. You've been an assistant. You've coached at the high school level, the junior college level. I mean, talk a little bit about your journey um, through the coaching ranks, man, and what has got you to, to Canisius College today? Well, um, I started off and never really wanted to coach college basketball. In fact, I, I, it, well, I can't say never. I, I wanted to coach it uh, when I was in high school, and I thought about it when I was in college. But after I started coaching high school basketball, I didn't really want to coach college basketball. I coached um, – uh, I started really coaching high school kids the minute I graduated from high school. I started – they were guys that, that were like younger brothers to me. I coached them in summer leagues, at camps enjoyed it uh thankfully they were they were great guys i'm still in touch with with a lot of them um some have you know in one case is he's worked with me every every level i've coached at and i really enjoyed it had i been a high school teacher i probably never would have coached college but i wasn't a high school teacher so i started off as three years as a jv uh, high school coach um and then five years as a varsity assistant and then five years as a varsity head coach. So that's 13 years at my alma mater. Um, but I wasn't, as I said, a teacher. And initially when I became a head coach, I think the other teachers didn't want to do it because it was a difficult job, had, had, had just recently come off some losing seasons. And, um, and then we started to have some success. And, and there was one teacher in particular who, um, and it, he was correct. It was his right of first refusal for the job because he was a teacher. It was in his contract. It was affecting his pension. So I got served papers uh, the last two years I was there. The superintendent um, was 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 awesome to me and said, as long as I'm here, don't worry about that. I later found out that he actually paid both of us. He said he paid him because he said, this is your right of first refusal, but I, I don't, I want him to be the coach, so I'll pay you. And then you we're going to leave him alone. I didn't know that for oh, 15 and 20 years later, I found that out. Um, but I started to realize what happens if the superintendent leaves. And the whole while I was, I was at the high school level every year, 
um, the athletic director, uh, Ralph Galani, uh, and the superintendent was Dr. Gary Cooper. Uh, but the athletic director, Ralph Galani, at Erie Community College, where I also uh, attended and played basketball there, my coach there was John Beeline. And um, he hired John Beeline. He was a guy that, that gave John Beeline his first head coaching job. And the entire time I was at the high school level, he was asking me about coming there and coaching. And again, I really didn't want to do it. But at that time, I realized maybe it was the best thing to do. And so um, 1997 was my last year coaching high school basketball. And I went to um, the junior college level. Uh, My last year coaching high school basketball, I did get a little bit of a, a taste of part of the Division One. Um, gig, so to speak, because I was director of amateur athletic events for a new arena that was built in downtown Buffalo to to house the Buffalo Sabres and civic other other various civic uh, ventures. And um, we wanted it was a new building. We only had one major tenant being the NHL team, and um, so we needed dates. We needed to fill the building up with dates. And the uh, one of the owners was 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 big on college basketball. So I, my job was to try to get as many of those dates. And actually, Canisius became uh, um, a big part of that because they played most of their home schedule for those two years that I was a um, uh, director of amateur athletic events. Most of their home schedule was played in that building. And we had some uh, doubleheaders with Niagara and University of Buffalo and St. Bonaventure. We had NBA preseason games. Um, we bid. We made a bid on the Frozen Four, which we won. So we had a lot of things going on, in addition to concerts and various things that you would have in a building like that. But that was my full-time job. And, and, I, and that was my last year of coaching high school. So I did those two together. And then after that um, – I, I became a consultant in the same role, and um, um, then I took the job at Erie Community College. So, again, doing the scheduling thing really gave me a background because that's a big part of uh, of what you do in this role that I'm that I'm in right now is to try to. And it was it was difficult because they wanted marquee opponents, and to get you know we got um, for instance Kentucky to come in and play here. Kentucky doesn't doesn't leave their campus, so they don't leave their building to play non-conference games, particularly against schools that aren't power five schools. Just, they just don't do it. Economically, it doesn't work for them. Um, but the last coach I had, I, I went to Wheeling Jesuit, played there because that's where Coach Beeline went. And the last coach I had there was Jim O'Brien, who's been the head coach at three different NBA teams. Um, but at the time, he was an assistant at Kentucky. And so that's how we schedule it. And, and oddly enough, he was an assistant. Rick Pitino was the head coach at Kentucky. Um, and that got that game in. So I did that. And then um, the first year and the next year, two years at Erie Community College. And then the University of Buffalo called and said, we, we need someone to get us through the season. They had a, a, an investigation going on for rules violations. They didn't feel as though it would be good um, for them to hire an assistant, which you would typically do in that situation. They had already played five games. Um, usually you just bump a guy over and make him interim coach and get through the year, but it, they had a lot of things going on with the investigation. So they asked me if I could get a leave of absence so that I could go back to Erie Community College because they said, you're not going to get this job. 
but we'll let you interview for it because you're not going to win a single game. They had only they had only won one game in the time that they had been in the Mid American Conference, and there was a big divide on the team. There was a lot going on, and they just wanted someone to get them through the season. And if I could get a leave of absence, would I do it? I discussed it um, with the administration at Erie Community College. They were on board with this leave of absence. So I started there. This is a story I've told a lot too. Um, you know, whenever I'm doing speaking. Okay. I started there December 4th, 1999. It was a Saturday. We practiced once. The next day was a Sunday, December 5th. We practiced twice. Now, bear in mind, they had played five games, and I'm trying to get to know the guys, what their names are. A couple, of two, two to three, maybe four of them, I kind of knew their names a little bit. I'm meeting with them in a the locker room, and they're sitting at their, what I thought was their lockers. And so I'm, you can get a little bit of help. Usually, as you guys know, you look up at the top of the locker, and it has their name on there, right? Well, so, um, you know, I look up, and I think I'm talking to Aaron. So I address him that way because I'm trying to, you know, and he's with, I'm not Aaron. So I look up. And he sees me look up and he says, well, I, this is Aaron's locker. Well, it was his locker, but we switched. So what I come to find out is that there was such a divide on the team that guys switched lockers because they didn't want to be next to other, certain other guys. And that's how divided it was. You know, you had one side and another side and, it wasn't good. You know, they, they, and they told me this, you know, they said, that's why you're not, we told you you weren't going to win a game. Um, they, they, you know, one side doesn't, doesn't, they don't agree on anything. And I said, well, I can get them to agree. I can get them to agree on, on one thing. And they said, you'll never do it. I said, I, I know I can get that done in 24 hours. So they will agree on one thing. And they said, well, how are you going to do that? I said, they're going to agree that they don't like me. So that'll be one thing. That's where we'll start. Okay. So we practiced twice on Sunday. We practiced once on Monday. And the whole time, again, you know, you're trying to get names right and practice and, and what can we work on. And we have a game on Tuesday. Um, you know, you can't really get a lot done offensively in four practices and then play a game. But, um, but maybe defensively we can, you know, um, pick up on some things. They had been a man-to-man -man team. They were they were they were well coached. Um, so what can we what can we do on Tuesday? We have a game, and I lived I lived about eight minutes from campus. So um, Tuesday we come in, do the shoot around, and they tell me I'm going to go home and shower and change and come back. And you know there had been family members. I hadn't really had a chance to tell them. That, you know, this is about, I'm about to do to do this. I hadn't really had a lot of time to to go through all of that. So, as I'm leaving the building, they say, "Hey, listen, can you make sure you come back? Um, we're gonna ha have you do um, live interviews in the five o'clock hour with the ABC, CBS, NBC affiliate, the Fox affiliate, and uh, and then the next hour, the six o'clock hour." We're going to have you do the same thing. You know, they're going to be live, live interviews. 
Uh, and then um, the opposing team's radio station, they would like to, you know, have you interview as well. I'm thinking, okay, you know, I just got to hustle back. I'm, you know, let me, you know, in my mind, I just want to get in the shower, get get changed, make sure I don't forget some socks or something, belts, you know. That's what I'm thinking. I get home. In those days, you used to have the answer machine. And the faster it blinked, the more the more messages was left on your answering machine. That thing was blinking so fast. I mean, it was all, but I, then I remembered, oh, I hadn't had a chance. You know, these people are calling. They want tickets to the game. And it still didn't hit me until, you know, I hustled up. I pulled back on. I'm trying to get there as quickly as I can. And I had been to games in, in this building. Um, I pull on, try to park. And and the police officer, the campus police officer says, excuse me, sir, you're going to have to turn around and park on the other side of campus. And I said, uh, well, but he said, no buts. We have a big basketball game tonight. You're going to have to turn around and park on the other side of campus. You can't. This is blocked off. I said, but it needs to know buts. You know, there's cars coming already. They're behind you. You're holding up traffic. Now, this is going to be easy, or we're going to do this the hard way. So I kind of sat back, like, because <laughs> he's not letting me talk. He said, what's the problem? I said, I'm trying to coach in the game tonight. He said, oh, you're the new guy. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, you just pull in here. And I and, and I pull in the parking, and then it hit me. I had been to games and I had not, not seen all of this, but it's the opponent. That's that's. I mean, I I pulled in, and I now I'm really in a hurry because I'm I'm behind, and and I, and I actually did this. I actually pulled in, and I was talking to him out of the the front passenger side, and I pulled in, parked, and jumped, grabbed my stuff, jumped, and got out, and I forgot to let the window all the way back up. And it snowed a little bit, you know, so I had a little snow in the vehicle when I got back. But it hit me because then I'm thinking, you know, I don't know if we're prepared to play North Tonawanda High School. Okay. But that game was against North Carolina. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. They were ranked eighth in the country. Um, and it was the first sellout in the history of the school. And I go through, I do these interviews in a five o'clock hour. And I come right, you know, now they're, you know, I didn't shower at home because I was afraid that I was going to be late. So I'm thinking I'm just going to shower at the school and change. Okay. Now I don't even know where the restrooms are. So but after the five o'clock hour, they kept talking. And the next thing you know, now it's time for me to start this all over again. And the six o'clock, and I got to do the radio for our radio station, which they forgot to tell me, and the North Carolina radio station, because what happened was this becomes something that it looks like something that, you know, like this guy just dropped out the sky and is going to actually coach in this game. You know, because I came from a, a junior college. They're like, is this really, you know, like, so now I got to rush when I get done and go in there because the game tips at seven, you know, so I got to rush in there. I'm like, well, where, I got a shower. Where's the shower? 
So they just follow me. So now I'm hustling down there, grabbing my stuff. And it said, you know, this is a shower. No, nobody uses it. You, you'll be fine. I don't know where I'm at. I'm just going where they tell me. I've only, you know, you know, I've been in the building, but not in the, you know, in this area. So I grabbed, you know, I had a couple of assistants that were with me, Kevin Lake and Jim Quitchoff at, at uh, Erie Community College. And I, and I grabbed Kevin Lake and I said, hey, just stand right here, man. And, and just, just when two minutes after, cause your mind, when it's, when it's, when you're in the shower, your mind's, you forget how much time you've been in there. Cause now it's game day and I got all of this stuff. I could be in there for 35 minutes and think I've been in there for 30 seconds. So I said, when it's two minutes, just say two minutes. And I'm just going, boom. So he says, two minutes. And he, I'm going back to the locker room. So I get out and I'm drying off and, you know, thinking on stuff, you know, and, well, where I was showering at was was really a shower that they never used. And it was right in the back of the athletic training room. So I'm drying off. And one of the female athletic trainers coming in, and she is completely not expecting to see anybody in there. And she comes in, she says, oh! You know? <laughs> and, and she scared me, too, because I'm thinking, how in the hell are we going to get ready to play this game? So when she screamed, I said, oh, you know, <laughs> she, she ran out and then I, I said, dry it off. And I, I got out of there as fast as I could. And I said, oh, now I got to try to remember where the locker room is. So I started looking at, oh, there it is. So and before I go in the locker room, to my, the athletic director at the time, Bob Rockopane comes over to me. He said, hey, would you mind if the, pre- the president wants to be in the locker room? President of the university, Bill Griner. I said, what am I? I just got here. You're up to him. He's the president. If he wants to be in the locker room, he's going to be in the locker room. If he wants to talk to the team, he can do that too. Matter of fact, he's still on the bench if he wants to. <laughs> so we, we got out there. We, we played a game. Well, North Carolina the next day, I think they actually did this. The next day they were playing Ken, uh, uh, Cincinnati with Kenya Martin. We ranked number one in the country. Carolina was ranked number eight, so it was, it, it was two top ten teams in their mind was not on playing University of Buffalo. Uh, that team had uh, Forte and, and Jason Capel and Brendan Haywood and Ed Coda and Lang, and, and, and they ended up going to the Final Four. But we came out there, and, of course, the place is jam-packed. And most of them have on North Carolina stuff. Hey. Because this North Carolina has not been to Buffalo before or since, so they they you know okay I get it no no problem so we go out there after after first media timeout Carolina goes cold and they can't make a shot but they they their demise wasn't on this you know and you know our guys are fired up you know it's, it's a sellout crowd and you know next thing you know we get going we start making a few shots okay. Now the crowd, you know, they taking off their Carolina hats and they like, hey, I see some history here. They taking off sweatshirts and they like, you know, okay. Now it's getting louder and louder. Now you know how when you play for a coach, you know his voice. No matter how loud it gets, you just know his voice, right? You guys know that. Yep. yep. Well, they hadn't played for me. I only been there a couple of days. So now I'm screaming out. You know, and then he ain't no response at all. So now I'm starting to think, is that Lewis? 
Maybe I'm calling him by the wrong name. <laughs> but the crowd is going crazy. We got up 15 points. So I say to Jim Quitchoff, who had, you know, he was one of the guys that I said was like a younger brother to me. He was five years behind me in high school. And I coached him in summer league, summer camp. And then when I was a varsity coach, he was the JV coach. And, and then when I went to you know, every community college, he came there. And when I, you know, now I'm at the University of Buffalo and he's right there. So I say to him, I say, hey, Quitch, whose number? I don't know. I gave him the number of the guy on our team who's not answering when I call him by the name I think is his name. But now I'm beginning to wonder. So I said, whose number is so-and-so? He looked. He said, that's uh, Ed Coda, you know, somebody on the Carolina team. I said, oh, oh, oh no, I'm talking about our guy. <laughs> I know the Carolina guys. You know, they're on TV every week. So I, you don't need to help me with that. I need to help with our guy. He said, oh, well, that, you got it. You, you calling about the right name. I was calling the right name. He just didn't know my voice. So he couldn't hear me, you know, and, he, you know, he got all amped up and it looked like it was going to be this big, you know, history, mind-blowing, you know, uh, um, upset, right? We, we went in the locker room up, I think, five, and we lost by 22, 23. You know who swung the balance of the game a lot was um, – uh, What's my name? Julius Peppers. He wow. came in the game, you know, and he got loose, started throwing his weight around, got a dunk, and, you know, guys were, whoa, <laughs> whoa, this is a little different. You know, this is a different physicality here. <laughs> and uh, Carolina became Carolina, and we lost. And then three days later, uh, we played our road game. Our next game was at Indiana, and they were also ranked in the top ten, and that was Coach Knight's last year there. And then they were like, you know, Carolina was 22, three-point, you know, game. Indiana was about a 50-point game. And they said, that's why we told you to get a leave of absence and that you weren't going to win any games. But then as we got in, they had only won one conference game. We got in the conference play. We won three conference games. And I ended up being there 13 years after that. So, um, and then after that, I was off for a year. I had four different athletic directors, the last of which let me go, and, and three different presidents. And I was off for a year. And again, this is my hometown. So I'm from here. My wife's from here. Her, her family is here. She has two brothers here. I have two brothers here. And, um, so I was off for a year. And then uh, I went to uh, Alabama and Coach Grant's last year there, um, which was a uh, a therapeutic experience for me. It was, it was awesome. I, I was able to get away from the noise of being in your hometown and, and dealing with the things that go along with that. Um, and it was my wife and I, we left our kids here in our home. Um, it was a different, uh, the, the, the level of appreciation and value for intercollegiate athletics was something completely different than what I had experienced. Uh, and then the next year I went to Chattanooga and Matt McCall was the head coach. Um, he had come from Florida as, as Anthony was part of that family as well. And he's at UMass now. And um, so I was there for a year and then, and then came here to Canisius and I just, it'll be five years uh, in a couple of weeks. I got here in June. So um, back in our hometown. <laughs> 
So that's been a very unconventional, you know, those two years, Alabama and Chattanooga were the first two years that I was a Division One assistant coach. I had been an assistant coach at uh, USA Basketball under 18 team. Jeff Capel was a head coach and Paul Hewitt and I uh, were assistants. But um, other than that, 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 those are the first two years that I had been an assistant coach. And they were great experiences uh, that I learned a lot from. Oh, sheesh. That's definitely quite quite the journey, man, from, from Erie Community College in two years, you, you know, coaching against against UNC, man. Um, I want to ask you, man, you know, about Canisius, man. Obviously, you know, um, you know, Jim Barron at Canisius, you know, did a, did a great job there. Um, what was that process like for you, you know, coming in there after him um, and trying to, trying to keep the program, you know, afloat? And as well, you know, again, being back in your hometown in Buffalo at, you know, now the cross-time rival. I mean, what was that whole experience like, you know, for you? Well, yeah, Jim Barron did do a great job. I hadn't known him. He actually played at St. Bonaventure. And he's about six or so years older than, than I am. Um, and I'd seen him when he played there. They won the NIT championship, and he was a terrific player for them. And um, he coached, actually, when I was a high school coach, we had we didn't travel a lot and do a lot of AAU things, but we had a club that comprised of, of the, the best high school players in Western New York, some Southern Ontario and some you know, Pennsylvania a little bit too. And so we would – get these guys together in our gym, about 30 or so of them. And um, one of the better players that we had um, went to St. Bonaventure and played uh, there for, for Jim Barron. Uh, and Robin there was his assistant coach who recruited uh, Tim Wynn to St. Bonaventure. And um, so I had known him for a long time. Um, and he did do a terrific job here. When he, uh, when he came, they were on the heels of 11 consecutive losing seasons at Canisius. And he was here for four years um, and did a great job. Had his son here uh, who was a player of the year. Um, and they had, you know, some good years here. And after four years, he retired. So it was it was a situation where I had coached against Canisius, obviously, uh, a lot when I was at Buffalo. Canisius and Buffalo play each other uh, every year, um, except for a pandemic year like this one. My I have an older brother who played at the University of Buffalo. Uh, he he skipped two grades, so when he was a freshman, he was 15 years old, and I was yeah. He he went from eighth grade to 11th grade. So when people, uh, his name is Greg, when people talk about, you know, so-and-so's a genius because they won some games, I just kind of take that with a grain of salt because he is a certified genius. Um, really? he, he went from eighth grade to 11th grade. So um, he started college, actually, when, when his classes started, he was 14. That's great. Uh, so, um, um, I, I was a ball boy, you know, 10 year old ball boy at the university of Buffalo. So I was exposed to college basketball at a really young age. And, and, um, I, I was able to look at it closely and saw the Canisius teams, saw the Buffalo teams, then coaching when I got to Buffalo, um, again, it was a, it was a very, very unique situation, much like this one, in that they, they had been division one, 
and then down to Division Three, and then to Division Two, and then back to Division One. I. I had seen him at all those levels. They had never had a 21 season um, at, uh, at any of those levels, um, but they had some some um, resources that were outstanding. An on-campus arena at the time that was around 93 or 400. Uh, and they've renovated it since. But they, for the, at that time, if they had any success against Niagara or Canisius or St. Bonaventure, it was unheard of because they, you know, they didn't, those were the schools in the area that were referred to as the little three in the heyday. Uh, and they got all of the attention of the people in the area. And better players would, would go to one of those three schools rather than, in, in many, not in all cases, but in some cases they would. The Canisius played their games in, in the downtown at that time, Memorial Auditorium. So uh, when I got to, one of the five games that Buffalo had played when I, I got there was against Canisius. And I think Canisius won by 30-something points. So it took a while to kind of change that a little bit and, and kind of reverse that. And um, then now I'm at Canisius. And it's interesting because for the first several years of being at Buffalo, I would, I would see people here. You know, I'm from here, so I would, I would see people. And um, they would, you know, they were with their older parents. They would introduce me to their parents. And they would always make the mistake of saying, you know, Mom, this is the coach at Canisius. And I'd Say, well, I'm actually at Buffalo, at UB. Yeah, but, <laughs> oh, that's right, yeah, UB. You know, because the brand was a little bit more high profile at Canisius than it was at UB. Now it's the reverse. Yeah. So I'll see people here, and they'll associate me still with being at UB. And they will introduce me to their aunt or to their parents. Hey, Ma, and, and, and they'll say, yeah, yeah, I, 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 I know you're, you're at um, you're at UB, right? And I say, no, no, I'm not. I'm not <laughs> so it's really, really weird. But again, a lot of it is because, you know, when we got here, with the success of Jim Barron, fortunately, the 15 prior years, there were 12 losing seasons. And so people didn't, they don't recognize you with that because it just took on a little bit lower profile, but it's been, it's been a challenge, but it's been, you know, it's been great. And I'm appreciative of the work that the coaches um, in both cases, you know, Tim Cohane and his staff did at, at, at Buffalo and Jim Barron and his staff. And even before him, Tom Parada did a, a wonderful job. Uh, it's a difficult job. And of course, Mike McDonald, who Mike McDonald replaced, uh, he was on John Beeline staff and replaced him. And so in, in, in what John Beeline did goes without saying. So it, it takes a lot to, it, um, to have any success or competitive success. And a lot of times that's the people who, who were there before you. Now, Coach, um, like, like Drew mentioned, you know, obviously you, you took over for, for Jim Barron and now you're about to be in year five or this going to be your uh, five years in June. I mean, obviously this past year was, you know, an extremely difficult year with the COVID year. You guys had guys that were in quarantine for north of 140 days. I mean, 
you know, just talk to me a little bit about, about this season, man. I mean, I, I remember after the Matt tournament, you spoke about, you know, just how proud you were um, of your team and how resilient they were this, this whole season. I mean, just putting the words for people, just how difficult it was this year, you know, going through this COVID year with the mind day that you guys had, you know, in, in quarantine, still being able to, to get a, a you know, a, a six, 60 uh, in the MAC tournament, um, despite all the adversity that you guys went through. So we, um, as you mentioned, we've had some guys that have been in quarantine for and they came hot spot states or they came internationally. So they had to do two weeks to start before they could even start classes. Um, in addition to that, we didn't, we weren't able to get in our gym for a long time and do anything, you know, lifting, pickup games, nothing. So, um, this is like a, this is going to be like a reality show. I'm giving you guys all of this stuff, right? So our guys went to a church where a former player of ours, uh, a couple of former players of ours, actually have a, a business where they um, work guys out and whatever. And they played in a pickup game. They, they, they did this on their own. And, and they were playing in the pickup game against uh, some guys apparently from the University of Buffalo. And one of our guys got stabbed. Um, so we had to endure that as well. We played no non-conference games. Um, so we, our first game was um, against Marist. Uh, and the second game was the next day against Marist. Um, we played our last home game on January 2nd. And we didn't play any more home games. So even for like senior managers, we had no ceremony or anything for them. But as you guys know, our travel is difficult. You know, the only game where our travel isn't more difficult than everybody else is when we, we play Niagara. Uh, and Niagara's travel is difficult as well. So as it would be, the only team we were scheduled to play at Niagara, and that's, I mean, we did not play there. <laughs> so I mean, we played 12 um, games, uh, regular season games, and, and eight of them were on the road. And none of them were close ones because again, we didn't play Niagara all because of COVID. So we played four home games. And again, the last one was January 2nd. We had guys that tested, that would test negative on a Monday, positive on a Wednesday and negative on a Friday. So we had to endure the whole, is, am I really, do I really have COVID or not? Uh, myself, I tested, uh, I was the first one of the, Many, many positive tests. To, uh, to ha I had a positive test. I was the first one. And um, the next week I tested, you know, negative four times within a week. And then 88 days later, I tested positive. And two days later, tested negative. And two days after that, tested. So I tested positive on a Monday, negative on a Wednesday, and negative on a Friday. So we had a lot of that, as you can imagine. We did have two guys who... Uh, tested positive with symptoms. Uh, we have since had a couple guys test positive with symptoms as well. 
So we had a complete overhaul, really, of what we were able to do. And we were extraordinarily careful uh, with it. And I'm glad, I'm grateful, we're blessed that nobody got long-term ill. Um, but we were, you know, very careful, taking temperatures every day before they come in a building, before they come into practice. You know, just trying to do what we could, but it, it, it was a lot. It was really a lot to, to, to kind of battle through. We were off. We had, I think, the third longest layoff in the country. Um, as you guys may know, we were scheduled to play Quinnipiac on a Saturday, Sunday. And we had a, uh, a test that came back inconclusive. So we didn't play Saturday. We thought we'd just play one game on Sunday. When we woke up, we thought we were playing Sunday. But on Sunday, we had a positive test result come back. So we shut down for two weeks and then instead of playing Quinnipiac at home, we went there and played. Um, so we've just, we just had a lot, a lot of that kind of thing to endure. And um, it was a lot on the guys, you know, because not only were they shut down, but they were wondering, do I really have COVID? And those are unanswered questions. So we, we got through it, but it was a lot. Now, I mean, I want to ask you, Coach, I mean, obviously, like, you know, as you mentioned, you know, this, this year was, it was a tough year. But, you know, despite that, you know, like like Ace mentioned, man, you guys were still able to get, you know, a really good seed going in, in, into the MAC tournament. Um, how do you feel about, like, you know, traditionally kind of from this year where COVID was kind of just wreaking havoc on the season, kind of taking this into next season and kind of how you feel about trying to build a team going into uh, this next season where hopefully COVID won't be, you know, as as prevalent or as big of an issue going into this next season? Well, um, you know, the first thing that will be different is the requirement of vaccines. Uh, the governor, Governor Cuomo, just came out a couple of days ago and said that the uh, state universities and, and, and the schools that are affiliated with the state will have a, a, um, a requirement that you have to be vaccinated. And then yesterday, uh, we came out as an institution and said there will be a requirement here as well that you have to be vaccinated. Um, I hope that that is a, is a thing that is positive for us and gets us back to some level of normalcy and, and, and gets and cuts out, you know, some of the delays and quarantines and isolations that we that we had to deal with. I mean, going back to your original question, we had got, you know, when you're, people don't understand, and we wouldn't have understand it, we wouldn't have understood it either uh, if we didn't go through it. Being in a, in a dorm room for 10 days or two weeks and then coming out and practicing is almost impossible. You know, that first day, no matter how much you think you're easing them into it, you're not, it's nothing easy. So there is no easing them into it. And example, two-line layups. So we come back, two-line layups. Three minutes in, we have one kid on his knees and another kid at the garbage can. And because he sat in that room for 10 days or two weeks, and he didn't, I mean, how much walking around can you do in a dorm room? So not to mention just getting outside and getting sun and, you know, so physically it's, 
it's impossible to ease anything that has any level of demand. And then mentally, it's, it's, it's very difficult, too. And in talking to coaches around the country, you know, it's been a big challenge. So the desire is that we have a situation where we don't have to have those kinds of um, delays. And, you know, maybe we can get back to actually eating on the bus because even our travel – was so compromised because we're on a, we have a seven hour bus ride. We can't, you know, we didn't eat for the entire time we're on the bus. Whereas typically we would stop halfway in between, go to a restaurant. We arranged to pick up some food, bring it back on the bus, eat while we're on our way and, and get there. And, you know, basically we're there now, we're not eating. But if you can't eat on the bus for seven hours, number one, you're going to be really hungry. And number two, you're going to eat dinner at 10 or 11 o'clock at night. And that's just what we had to do. Man, that's, that's go ahead, Drew. No, yeah, I was gonna say that's 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 crazy, man. I do want to ask one one follow up real quick, Coach. I mean, so I know your your, your girls' program decided to cancel the season, and they just decided to just not not play. You know, amidst the COVID stuff, once they you know started having all these tests, was that ever a thought for you guys? Like, maybe we should just you know chalk it up and you know just not play the rest of the games this season during that layoff. Like, what was that process like for you guys for the program? Was that ever a discussion amongst amongst you guys? We talked about it as a staff. We did not really discuss it with our team. Um, the reality is that the money that's generated by uh, a men's basketball program is pretty significant, especially as it relates to uh, a school of our size. And so we knew that. You know, we have already uh, had, you know, um, cuts in our staff because – uh, from the from the previous year, uh, COVID hit, and we had cuts in our staff, first furloughs, and then actually job cuts on our staff, and we still have that. So um, we knew it wasn't going to get any better if we would allow that to be an option. Um, although we, again, we have um, people who are in that risk category. Uh, amongst our staff and and uh, and our team, so it was one of those things where you you just try to um, to not let it dominate your thinking, but in the beginning, it definitely did dominate our thinking and yes, the woman opted out, and we talked about it amongst the staff like are we going to be able to pull this off because number one, we had a lot of uh, um, positive tests the travel, the exposure to it, um, it was really, really challenging. And um, so we have we thought about it as a staff? Yes. Did we discuss it with the team? No. Did they discuss it amongst themselves? I don't know. Now, Coach, you had you know, Malik Green this year who you took in for, as a transfer from Moorhead State. He came in with the sixth player of the year. Was you guys leading scorer? And talk about, you know, his – the season that he had and what you're expecting from him and coming back next year uh, as a senior for you guys. So Malik is a really interesting story. When, when, first of all, based on what you just said, but here's something that people don't realize about Malik. Malik had surgery after uh, our last home game, which was January the 2nd, as I mentioned. And, you know, he had knee surgery. And, you know, you have knee surgery during the season. Uh, you know, he might be the only player in the country 
ever that have knee surgery during the season and not miss any games. <laughs> That's how long the layoff was. So, so that's crazy, so, hey, man. You know, we document that, man. We, 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 we got, got document that in the Guinness Book of World Records, man. We got a player that had knee surgery and missed no games. <laughs> no games. You know, and again, you know, this is you guys are doing a great job because I don't think I've been able. This hasn't come up, so I don't know if I've ever told anybody. But yeah, you know, he didn't miss any games. You know, and when he got it, he was debating on whether to get the surgery because he was like. I don't want to miss any games. Maybe I should just try and, you know, get through it and have it after the, the season. And I said to him, well, Malik, the way things are going, man, and I didn't say it because I thought it could be possible. I just, we were talking, he was a little down, and I, I was trying to keep him encouraged. Really, that's the only reason why I, I said, who knows, man, you might not even miss any games. The way, these, the way <laughs> things are going with these positive tests. I didn't think it would be possible, guys. I, mean, I know he's going to miss some games, but I'm trying to keep him encouraged. And, and he was like, come on. He got upset. Like, that's an insult. You're going to sit here and tell me I'm not going to miss any game, Coach, I'm getting ready to have knee surgery. How am I going to not miss any games, he said. I mean, he got, he, he got upset with me. Got upset. And, and I can understand it. Like, you know, come on, man. I wasn't trying to – he took it like maybe I was trying to minimize it. I, I'm not trying to minimize it. I knew what he was going through, but I, I was trying to keep him encouraged. And I was, you know, like, you know, this, if you get it sooner, because we were, you know, in quarantine, you know, and as soon as we came out of quarantine, I said, you, you got it because they're not going to give, they're not going to do surgery on your knee while you're in quarantine. The doctor is like looking at you like, I don't know if you have COVID or not. Yeah. You're supposed to be in quarantine. So I can't do this until this date. So you got to understand that's a long layoff. They didn't do it right after he got hurt because yeah. we, because we had a positive wait until he came out of the quarantine and then they did the surgery and that's how long we were off and he never really got back to he never you can't get in shape like he he didn't you can't get in shape like that like we and I mean, a lot of our guys probably weren't in shape because we can't really push them out there to get in shape and we're not playing enough games to get in game shape so when are they going to be challenged enough to get their heart rate up high enough on a consistent enough basis to actually get in some kind of a game shape, yeah. you know? So, yeah, that was a – Malik had – when you consider all that, you know, he had a phenomenal season. Yeah. He really did. You know, and uh, hopefully we can – you know, now he's we have to try to balance off. We have to get him enough rest so, so he's been off of it since the season ended. And he's just starting to get back in the gym and do some running, plant, and change of direction, uh, jumping, you know, landing, you know, things like that that you have to do to not only get in shape, but to get your confidence, get your mind back uh, for all of that. So, um, you know, it, it, it is a very, it's a, you know, you're right. That's probably Guinness World Book of Records, right? Yeah, he, he didn't, he didn't miss a game, you know? <laughs> so he was tired now. I mean, he was, Especially, and this is the thing about this guy, not only did he have that situation, right, but he was off a long time. And, and, and oddly enough, his first game, our first game, uh, back from that was at Quinnipiac. Yep. And the first game, I think he played more. In the second game, 
I mean, he was, he was exhausted. I mean, he was, he looked like he was so tired. He couldn't even raise his hand up to let me know he needed a cell. You know, he just was kind of like, you know, <laughs> in the head now, like, you see me out here, you know, okay. You would run somebody over to that table, coach, because you're going to be playing four on five in a minute, you know. So, you know, <laughs> yeah, it was, whew, it was a lot. It was a lot. Nah, that's that's definitely that's definitely a, a commendable story, man. But man, I, I have to ask you, man. I got to reflect back on you know this what was that twenty eighteen Mac Mac tournament game, man, where you know we we saw you guys in that seven two matchup. I mean, we had we had quite the battle that year. I remember it was like a little rivalry, man, because when we we came to you guys and it was like the back and forth. You guys beat us. You guys beat us twice that year, man. And obviously, my guy Ace knocked down you know that, that big time shot, but. Um, what, I mean, if, can you just, you know, like, just think back to that game, like, if, if you remember that at all, and, like, just... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know if, like, because, I mean, we, we, we had some battles over the year, Coach. I mean, uh, we definitely did. I mean, when I was there, man, I mean, I was... I always admired you guys, man. You guys had some really good teams, man. I remember, obviously, with, with Jermaine Crumpton that year, he was co-Mac Player of the Year. Um... Isaiah Reese that year was Isaiah Reese. Uh, Isaiah Reese. And, uh, the point guard. Yeah, Malik, uh, Malik, Malik Williams. No. Malik uh, Williams. Malik Johnson. Johnson. Malik Johnson. Malik Johnson. 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 Yeah. yeah. He was a pest, you know. So, I mean, I mean, we, we, we had some battles with you guys, Coach. I mean, just, what, what are your thoughts, man, thinking back on, on you know, that game or just, you know, those 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 games that, that we played back in back in mean eighth days at, at Quinnipiac? <laughs> well, um, we did have those two games – that we played, they were tough, hard-fought games at your place, at our place. Yeah. And so it was no we, – we don't have the excuse of saying, well, we took them lightly. We did. It was none of that, you know. Um, you guys probably took us more lightly than we took you because you knew, okay, we, we lost, we dropped a few games, but we, you knew you were there. Um, and uh, so we didn't – it was no we took them lightly. Just got beat, you know. We 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 got a lead, if I recall. We got a lead in the second half, but we never felt like we had it, you know, put away. And um, I think, if my memory is correct, I think we were co-champions regular season with Ryder, and they played before, right before us, and lost. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yep. And then we we go out there, and and then and then we lose. Um. But it, it was a battle. We did we we I, you know what one of the things that sticks out is that um, I think I ran into Tom maybe in the lobby or something, and he had said that him and Baker were talking, and you guys didn't have a a shooter out, or you didn't you know you just rested or something. And I think if my if I, I think if my memory is correct. I think we had probably already had ours, and I was like, uh-oh, it's resting. They're going to be rested. <laughs> and we had already, I said, uh-oh, uh, we too late now. We already had ours. So, you know, we went out there, and you guys did a good, great job of battling. And um, we came up short. So, you know, when you get in those situations, people don't – and, again, I had been in these one-bid – leagues for a while so understood the pressure um when i got to alabama i was like oh this is different you know 
Yeah. When the tournament started, there was several teams in there that knew, you know, this is not going to be my last game in this SEC tournament. The tournament was in Nashville, and that was the year Kentucky didn't lose until they got to the Final Four. And they had, like, remember, they had two teams, basically. They had two starting yeah. fives, yeah. Carl Anthony Towns and, 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 um, uh, uh, and, and all, and, you know, Willie uh, Cauley style, all them guys, you know, so – that was different. I had been used to that, um, the, the pressure of just if something goes wrong, that could be your last game. Um, so, again, I, I think we just got beat by the better team on that night. And that's what it comes down to in, the, in, the, in those tournaments is that who's going to win. You don't have to. It's not a series. You just got to win that one game. And you guys won it. So, um, it's not, you know, there are some games that I've coached in these conference tournaments that you, I can't get out of my mind. I remember everything about them. Um, that was just a game I just, you know, we. what I do remember about it is that we had good shooters, guys who were usually very reliable that struggled at the free throw line. And that haunts you because you know that they're much better than that. And they just – for whatever reason, you miss a couple and it gets in your head and you just can't can't move on to that next shot. Um, but, you know, they were phenomenal as a, as a team to coach. That was, you know, the first time that a banner had been hung in this building in 25 years. So, um, you know, I'm grateful for, the, for those guys and the efforts that they – I just talked to Malik Johnson a couple – well, let me see, last week, and uh, and uh, talked to Jermaine Crumpton and Jonathan Sanks a few weeks before that. So um, they were great guys to coach. You know, it was a lot of fun, and it was it was really thrilling to see um, someone like Jermaine Crumpton who stayed right. And this was this was his fifth year. He redshirted his first year, and he stayed. And you know, he's from Niagara Falls, which is 20 minutes from our building and to be able to then experience some success, the success that he had beyond anything that he would have imagined in, in his first four years. So it's great to be able to look back on that for him and see that he stayed and it worked out well for him. Now, Coach, back on the, on the Mac media call, I, I asked you about, you know, being one of four African-American coaches, you know, in, in the Mac. And, you know, this hiring cycle, obviously, there's been a plethora of, of African-American coaches that have been hired. There have been 54 jobs that have opened, and 28 of them have went to African-American coaches, which is about 52%. Um, obviously, prior to this year, there were only 23% of black coaches in the country out of all of the 351 Division One jobs. And only 17% of those, of those were at the high major level. I mean – to, to see 52% of the – and at one point it was up at like 70%, 80% of the jobs, uh, and then it, towards the end it kind of tailed off uh, with, with, the, with the percentage as well. But, I mean, is there any, is there any excitement or is there, is there any, you know, solace taking that, 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 that jobs this cycle have went to, you know, African-American coaches or is this a thing that you – because some people say they think, oh, it's, it's that kind of the trending thing, thing to do right now. you got to hire a black coach because everything that's, that's on on the past couple of years. Do you think that this could be something that can be built on in, in, in years to come? Well, let me say this. I think it's a good idea that, you know, whether it's trending, whether it's not trending, I think it's a good idea uh, to do it. 
you know, and, and why do, why do you think that? Well, number one, there's a lot of good quality qualified coaches that can do a good job that are African-Americans. Um, number two, I think the awareness of um, student athletes, black and white, of what's going on has increased. So in other words, um, I think the desire for diversity has gone up because of the exposure that that, uh, current events has gained. You know, um, I've said this before, you know, you go back the murder of George Floyd happened at a time when the whole world was shut down. You know, so it happened, yes, on camera, you know, it was recorded, okay? But those things have happened before. But this one was extremely unique for other reasons, but also for the reason that I don't know if there's anyone who can say, I didn't see it. You know, interesting story. I just talked to someone who I've known for, you know, since he was in high school and he's, uh, he's getting ready to retire now, but he, um, was stricken. He got, he, he got COVID, he got coronavirus and got really, really, really sick and was in the hospital for almost three months and was on a ventilator for a lot of that time and was blessed enough because typically you're on a ventilator, especially for that long, then you usually are not going to make it. His, he told me that his wife told them, you're not pulling the plug on my husband. But when he, when he came out of the hospital, they had to explain to him who is George Floyd? Wow. Didn't know. Didn't know. Wow. Didn't know. Okay. Now, save that kind of situation, everybody knew who, who George Floyd was. Everybody knew what happened. You couldn't say you didn't see it. It was on, where were you? You weren't on vacation. You know, you weren't traveling. Uh, you weren't probably, I was out of the restaurant, you know. Well, you weren't doing anything. We, was all, we were all at home because that's for back. And I don't care how many uh, channels you got on your, on your cable package or your satellite, everyone, um, you know, right? So everyone saw that. And I think it raised the consciousness of young people. And it was encouraging to see them um, strike out against some of the behavior that that people have had to put up with. And I think that consciousness has caused, in some cases, young people to, to, to make decisions differently. And... Maybe it's it's even relative to where they decide to go to college. Now, I want to ask one quick follow-up. Um, you know, back when you got hired at Buffalo, um, you were the first black head coach um, 
in, in the Western New York suburban school district, you're the first black head coach, coach of varsity sport um, at that time. I mean, at that time, did you know that? And if, if so, what was the significance of that to you, you know, back, back uh, in that time? So, um, yeah, when I became the varsity basketball coach at Sweet Home High School, I did not know that. You know, I, I was completely unaware of um, – I, I shouldn't say I was completely unaware. I just had never given it any thought. I can't say I was completely unaware because um, I went to three different high schools myself, and I had never had a, uh, a black coach – Certainly not a head coach, but I had never had a black assistant coach uh, in high school, junior college, or four-year. I never had a, a member of the staff that looked like me. Um, but I had never really sat down and thought about it uh, enough to really know until um, it was the columnist, Jerry Sullivan, who was writing for the Buffalo News, and he came in and he told me that, and he wrote a story about it. Um, and then it hit me. And then after that, it started to hit me um, all the things that, that we, my brothers and I, had been taught by our parents. My, my mother's father, so my grandfather, was very instrumental in desegregating schools in the United States of America. So um, he was the part of the case that preceded Brown versus Board of Education. So Thurgood Marshall was, a, was a, an attorney for the NCAACP. And he went to a small town in South Carolina and he wanted to sue the school board because he said it's, it's against the law. There's an ABC miniseries. Um, you can probably find it on YouTube called separate, uh, um, separate, but separate, but not equal. Um, and it depicts, uh, Thurgood Marshall, Cindy Portier plays the part of Thurgood Marshall. Um, and he goes into this small town, South Carolina, church school. And he needs people to sign his petition. And I watched this, my wife and I, with, with my parents. And as this scene unfolds, they say to us, you see that school of about 125 kids? A pretty fair amount of them were related to you because both my parents came from big families and they both went to that school. And my, my mother had told us, as a lot of people were told, you know, well, you got to value education and you understand we had to walk to school five miles and, you know, the white kids took a bus and, you know, you hear that, but then everybody was hearing those stories. So you, you go, okay, well, you know, but then to see it unfold uh, right in front of you, um, I don't know, and a national uh, uh, viewing, it was unbelievable. And, and, and they, you know, they went to this church and the pastor of the church, you know, the person playing that role, you know, he comes out and he's, he's rubbing Delane. And I'm saying, well, we, I know he's been in our home. This guy has been in our home. I, I know him it's in, his, in his family. And I didn't think of him as being this, that important figure, even though, our parents were trying to tell us this. Um, so it, my grandfather and his brother um, have received the Congressional Medal of Honor for their role in desegregating schools in this country. And it, it kind of hit me then when I realized that this was 
happening because they'd always told us you have to, what you're doing, you have to be able to open doors for yourself, but you got to leave open for someone who comes behind you. But it doesn't, until you really sit and think about that and, and, and kind of realize what you're doing, it, it doesn't always hit you like that. Now it has a much bigger significance uh, to me. And when we go back to that town in, Man- in Manning, South Carolina, when we were with my mother, they would like, oh, wow. I mean, she, she you know, her and her family, her sisters and brothers are celebrities there. And there's a road named after my grandfather and, and his brother. Um, so it's, it's uh, you start to think about that and say, whoa, it puts some of those lessons in place for you, you know, that you, that you, that are now such high value to us as a family. Yeah. That's definitely, that's definitely a crazy story. I mean, definitely have a, have quite, quite the family, family background, family history with, with, with a spoon name, man. So, you know, it's, it's definitely an honor, you know, that you, you were able to be, be a part of some, some, some sort of history and you know, everything that you've been able to do at Kinesis, you know, as an African-American coach in this league, you know, guys like my, myself and my brother definitely have looked up to you, you know, over the years, you know, seeing everything you've been able to do. So, you know, definitely, you know, want to applaud you for that and want to thank you again for coming on with us today, man. It's definitely been a pleasure. Um, so, obviously, you know, we're, we're going to be, we're going to be, you know, watching Kinesis team next year, you know, rooting for you guys, but also, you know, rooting for my guys over at Quinnipiac as well, man. So, it's definitely been a pleasure, man. And thanks a lot for your time. Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Good luck to, to you guys on everything you do. It's, it's, uh, it's a pleasure to see you guys working together. It really is. Uh, you know, brings back memories of being a young guy growing up with three older brothers. So thanks for having me. Not a problem, Coach. Thanks a lot, man. I gotta, I gotta say before we get off, man. Uh, my, 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 my guy Jabril would definitely be uh, Jabril Falker, man. We we grew up together, played the AU together, so he he, he would definitely feel the type of way if we didn't mention him uh, today on this uh, on this episode. We had his coach on here, man. But uh, me and Jabril, man, we played the AU together for many many years back in the day, and it was fun playing against him. You know, when he was at Canisius with with, with you as well. <laughs> That's awesome, man. I'll be sure. I'm gonna have to reach out to Jabril and let him know that I had I, I was on with you guys. So I appreciate it. No doubt. <laughs> sure, man. Thanks a lot, Coach, and best of luck going forward. And definitely, we'll be rooting for you guys over here at All Facts Media. <laughs> All right. Thanks again, guys. No problem. Coach. Alrighty, guys, and that was Reggie Witherspoon, the head coach of Canisius College. Definitely want to give a great shout-out to him for coming on, man. We had a great conversation, covered a lot of bases, man. So you know, definitely want to give a shout-out to him, man. That that game back my junior year uh, was definitely a classic, man. I, that that MAC tournament game was a battle, man. We used to have some crazy games with Canisius uh, in, in that MAC tournament. And, you know, e- even in the regular season, man, with Jermaine Crumpton and Isaiah Reese and, you know, Malik Malik Johnson and all those guys that, that came through there, man. So, you know, definitely it was fun to reminisce about some of those days as well, man. But um, that's going to do it for this episode of the Auto Bear, man, for Andrew Robinson and myself. Uh, make sure you guys are liking this podcast, subscribing to this podcast, giving us a rating wherever you're listening to this podcast, man. Engage with us on social media. We promise you it does go a long way. Tell a friend to tell a friend about the auto bid, man. And as always, make sure you guys are streaming my guy Pull Up Tay's music, man. My guy's project, Life Ain't Fair, is out on all platforms. Until next time, folks, we're going to let my guy Pull Up Tay take us out with some music. That's all we got, folks. 
It's time to get it checked, boy. Check, boy. You on the sideline, you ain't make the headlines. Now it's time to reject, boy. Check, boy. You bitten on me. I can tell. What's the topic of discussion? What we talking about? Take your best shot, I'ma take the last shot. I'm drawing in the clutch, boy. You bitten on me. I can tell. It's time to get it checked, boy. Check, boy. You on the sideline, you ain't make the headlines. Now it's time to reject, boy. You bitten on me. I can tell. What's the topic of discussion? What we talking about? Take your best shot, I'ma take the last shot. I'm drawing in the clutch, boy. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.